Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined with Dr. Susie Edge. And yes, I found her on YouTube and she is amazing. She does these really cool history mashups about the gory tales of human body history. And like I said, she is a doctor. She has education and medical training in that. So Susie, I cannot believe I have you on my show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's uh, it's really exciting when somebody says, let's chat some more because, you know, we only get a few seconds on TikTok, really, don't we? Oh, my gosh. And you, well, hey, when you do the three-minute videos, those are really helpful, but that's the most time anybody gets. And I was like, I need more information. Now, I might disappoint you right now because I know that you particularly do not love talking about King Henry VIII. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Do you know that's just a big joke? I do oh. like talking about him. Okay. I just. Well, the reason I say that is because I loved him before it was cool to love him. I loved him in, in junior high and high school and studied him and his wives and his kids. And I am fascinated by him and how he was injured by jousting and why they couldn't get that leg right and the whole thing, you know. And I know some of that's kind of gross, but you know what, guys? You know me. I love the dark side. So let's talk about it. <laughs> Well, you've come to the right place for all that stuff. Yes, definitely. I have. So tell me about, wasn't jousting kind of just, I mean, it was very expensive, but like people died like all the time. I mean, can you kind of go into that more with me? I think, yeah, the actual thing itself is a thought, isn't it? I mean, yeah. we're not talking about a boxing ring with gloves and mitts and protection and a doctor standing by. We're talking about full on riding your horse. Yeah at the other person, <laughs> at full speed, and uh, and seeing who comes out on top. And actually, Henry VIII's story is interesting, but have you heard about Henry II of France? You know what? I have very little, though. I don't know nearly as much, but if you can pull those two together, yes. yeah, go for it. He was in a jousting tournament. Okay. They were celebrating something like peace with Spain or, or something, you know, any excuse for a tournament. Yeah. So he went out against the leader of his Scottish guard, a chap called Montgomery, and they were jousting against each other. And Montgomery's lance just completely shattered over the king's oh helmet. And a great big splinter went through his eyepiece, uh, oh. through the hole where his eye is, and went straight into his brain. Oh and God. sat there for 10 days festering. Eventually it killed him. They tried to pull them all out. And, 10 but yeah, it took days? 10 days, 10 oh. days of infection. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And they were wearing body armor. I mean, they did have all that. But it's still, to me... The way that they were coming at each other, I don't know how much that would have helped. And then if you fell, it was so heavy, it probably that would have hurt you, you know, even if you hadn't been hurt by the joust. So many ways to die. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, with King Henry VIII, apparently he was very good at jousting, from what I understood, when he was younger. And then, you know, you weren't supposed to be able to beat the king. And it got to the point where his buddy Charles Brandon was very, very good at it, too. And and it, there's evidence that Charles Brandon was kind of letting him win, even though Henry was still very good at it. Because nobody wants to bring the king down. And I think what happened when he was jousting, was it when he was practicing that he got hurt so badly because he wasn't wearing the armor? I'm not sure, to be honest. I haven't okay. uh, I haven't looked into that part of it so much. Yeah. Well, yeah, but tell me what happened to like the leg and everything. Do you know anything about that part and how long he had to endure that? Yeah, so there's there's writing about his leg that he put up with that for, for a good decade. <sighs> So, and there's lots of different thoughts about what's going on, but he had these 
open sores on his legs that would weep. And every so often they would close over and he would get very sick. He'd react to them closing over. Mm. And whenever I mention it now, a lot of people come back to me and say, oh, this is diabetes. Because Henry was a big man. He obviously had diabetes. And I think what we need to do is not be so quick to put our own experiences onto everything. You know, like everybody's very much aware of diabetes now, but it wouldn't have been top of the list in the 16th century. However, Henry, if anybody's going to have a metabolic problem, it's going to be Henry VIII, right? Because he was huge and he had all these other problems. But I wonder if he might have had an osteomyelitis or something like that, because we've seen how an infection in the bone leads to tracks from the bone and the infections allowed to seep out because of these tracks that come out of the skin and when they close up they cause trouble and he had fallen off his horse and he'd got these injuries then as well as the head injury so of course it could have been that not healing because of diabetes as well so right. there's there's so much that could have been going on with him right. but he put up with it for a very long time and in a way I think he was lucky to have put up with it for quite a long time because you'd imagine something like that would kill you fast. Oh, yeah, he was it was like really infected. I'm surprised he didn't yeah. go sepsis. I mean, that's what I don't understand. I think that we forget that the human body is as wonderfully strong and resilient as it is yeah. fragile because, you know, we have got this far all of us. We've got to this point <laughs> over billions of years, you know, having had infections and the body does fight off infections. And yes, antibiotics massively helped us deal with these things but before that our bodies were dealing with these things themselves right absolutely true and you know I know you know obviously he had six wives but I'm very interested in Catherine Parr and let me tell you why first of all she was appalled by the thought of having to marry him and it was kind of thrust on her uh, and she did. And this is toward the end of his life, probably the last, what, eight, 10 years of his life that he um, was married to her. But she fascinates me as far as I think she's so underrated because she really was very intelligent and knew all kinds of languages. And that was unusual at that time, especially when her mother was, I think, the lady in waiting to Catherine of Aragon. So, I mean, that's the only reason anybody knew about Catherine Parr. And that's how she got in. But my thing is, her burial wasn't the best. Uh, she, She really was largely forgotten. Because she died within a couple of years of Henry. She died after having given birth. We're not sure what exactly. Maybe a a childbed fever, a pupural fever. And she was buried. But then the house where she was was kind of forgotten and didn't really fare too well. When the Civil War in England came along, a lot of these places were ransacked and forgotten about. But then one day somebody came along and dug her up and thought, you know, and had a good look. And then some other people came along and thought, this is a jolly good game. And they dug her up again and shoved her around and just threw this body on a pit Mm. uh, until somebody rescued her and just pulled her apart. It was a very strange story of, of how she was treated afterwards. Very odd. Yeah. You know, when they first found her in the house that was kind of deteriorating, she was really well preserved from what you say in your video. So and then they yes. just they just ransacked her. And it's just so sad because she was she was such a, an important figure, you know, back then. So it just makes you go, what the heck? <laughs> I know. I think the more I look at a lot of these figures who were dug up for whatever reason in the 18th century and the early 19th century, 
they were all just curious and they wanted to look and it just it really baffles me why you know why why were they doing that obviously they didn't have the same thoughts about burials that we do now that they they weren't as thinking about the ethics of it so much which which surprises me because you know the idea of a christian burial is they request that they go through that expecting not to be disturbed exactly and yet you know the georgians especially and just before that they did like to disturb people have a good look yeah and you know i didn't know back in the 1300s and maybe it was even before then they even knew how to embalm people i didn't know that was a thing back then i think uh, it's really fascinating listening at what they were doing and why they were doing it even so edward the confessor he died in 1066 when they opened up his coffin for a look a couple of hundred years later, somebody mentioned how they could smell the spices. Really? You know, he, they take out the organs because they know that they putrefy quickly. Right. Uh, and they smother the, the rest, if you like, the, the flesh and the bones. They, they smother that in waxes, uh, balsams and spices and herbs. And, uh, and yeah, so when a couple of hundred years later they had a look, they could still smell what was used to embalm Edward the Confessor. Wow, that's 1066. Wow. Well, also, I remember your video on William Wallace, Braveheart. Uh, he had a really, really scary death. Tell my listeners what happened with him when he was finally caught. William Wallace was tried for treason, and then he was executed in a manner that was kept for treason. So he was hanged and he was drawn and he was quartered. First of all, I mean, they don't mention this in the hanging, drawing, quarter bit. But first of all, the prisoner would be dragged along the ground with their face facing the ground to wherever they were going to be executed. And the idea was that they would be close to the ground. They weren't allowed to be up in the same space as everybody else because they didn't deserve it. And then they would pull him up and hang them by the neck. But not until they were dead. They, They didn't want them dead at that point. That was, you know, that was too easy. So at that point, they'd cut them down. And then they would cut off the testicles because they believed that these represented the future, if you like, and these people didn't deserve any sort of future. So oh, the wow. testicles were cut off, although I've always thought it was a bit late for that. <laughs> yeah. um, and then <laughs> it was it's symbolic, obviously. Uh, and then they'd open them up and pull out their bowels and they would burn them in front of their faces. Oh. And that, that represented where inside the body this idea of treason was being mulled over, if you like, inside the gut. And then they'd pull out the heart because that was a representation of where this idea had had also festered and this horrible treason had been going on in their heart. So they didn't need that. So they pulled that out. Oh. And then eventually they'd cut off the head because the head was where the thoughts process, that the treason was being thought about. So that the head was cut off. So all of these different parts of hanging and drawing and quartering had a symbolism. Yeah. And then they would chop up the rest and send them all off around the country. So Liam Wallace was sent north. His bits were sent to, you know, there was a a leg sent to Berwick, which is on the border, and Newcastle as well. And then up in Scotland in Perth and Stirling, there were parts of his body were hung up on the city gates. There's a warning to people. They don't want to cross the king. So, yeah, it was a pretty horrific death. And actually, we talk about hanging and drawing quartering quite a lot because it's so horrific. But it wasn't as as common as as you might think. It was kept for the the nobles who were treacherous. It was really kept for them. Really? Yeah. What a horrific way to die. But then there's Rasputin, who uh, they couldn't kill him. He was the uh, Russian uh, greatest love machine. Rasputin, what do you have to say about him? Rasputin fascinates me because... I think of these sorts of stories as always being medieval. And yet this was 100 years ago. This was only 100 years ago. And I forget, you know, when I when I go and read about him or look at him, there's an actual photograph and he's looking back at us and it's just, the eyes just really go right through me. 
But yeah, Rasputin wouldn't die. They did. <laughs> they tried. They tried really hard to kill him, but he just he just refused. And um, they tried to poison him, and he still he got up. And they tried to shoot him, and eventually he was thrown in the icy river. So yeah, he went through quite a lot before he eventually. <laughs> eventually gave up the ghost he yeah I, I listened to a podcast a while back on him and i just remember i don't remember exactly because it's been a while and my memory doesn't serve me as well as it used to but uh <laughs> but i knew I yeah yeah and but i do know that he was uh trying to i don't know if he was trying to be emperor of russia i'm not sure it's one of those things that i want to read about but haven't got around to right right what drew me to you i think one of the first videos i saw on tiktok with you was you talking about king soup and i was like yep this is my girl <laughs> So let's talk about what is King Soup? Well, I think uh, there's there's a few different kings that have caught my eye, if you like, because of the way their bodies were dealt with. And Edward IV was okay. one of them. So Edward IV was the king who was the better of the two during the Wars of the Roses. He did a better job. He was on the throne for a wee while okay. um, with, with stability during the Wars of the Roses. And he died. We don't really know what of. It was probably pneumonia. But he died and he was buried at Windsor, which was his, it was his chapel. He built it expecting to be buried there. Okay. And we know Windsor's been in the news quite a lot lately because that's where Harry, a lot of the monarchs have yeah. been buried. St. George's and Chapel, right? St. George's Chapel, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. This is where the Duke of Edinburgh was buried in April uh, last year right. and where the Queen will be buried as well. So it's been in the news quite a lot. But he was the one that did it. And we're talking in 1483, so a good few years ago. And a couple of hundred years after his death, his coffin was opened up and they had a look. The story was that they were renovating and it was accidentally opened. Now, I do not know how you accidentally, accidentally open yeah. a huge marble coffin <laughs> and you accidentally open a lead coffin. But apparently they accidentally opened it, which is hilarious to me. Right. But they opened it up and they had a look and they found that his bones were sitting in this this liquid and everybody said, oh, what's that? And they took a vial of it and they tested it. And the physician said, this is, we're talking 1700s. But the physician said, oh, this, this must be the putrefied remains of the king. This must be his soft tissue that's now sitting at the bottom of the coffin. Yes. And I, I can't imagine anybody reading about this would think it was anything else. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be anything else. So his, his, you know, he, all his soft tissue turns to sludge and he's sitting there at the bottom of the coffin and they took a vial of it away. And when I was reading this and when I was making that first TikTok about it, just the first thing that went through my head was, oh, he's sitting in a bowl of king soup. <laughs> and uh, and that really caught on. Like lots of people seem to like that one. So whenever whenever that sort of dripping king, because it happened to Henry VIII as well, Henry VIII, yeah. a lot of people think that he exploded, but it was more of a trickle, to be honest. <laughs> He just really? seeped out of the coffin and dripped onto the floor for some dogs to go lapping up. Oh, right. So yeah, that was um, there was some king soup for the dogs as well. <laughs> well. What I like about your videos, first of all, you're funny and you make kind of scary things less scary when you talk with humor and just say, "Listen, this is just the way the body works. We are all going to go through this. Hopefully, not all of us. Maybe some of us will be cremated or something. I don't know." <laughs> This seems like the better way. I don't know. But what I also loved about uh, some of the things you talk about, especially you being a doctor, there are diseases they had back then they just don't understand and didn't know. And we still don't know, like the sweating sickness. We don't really know what that was. It's so incredible to me how things came and went. Yeah. And we, we just got absolutely no clue. 
And so the sweating sickness was fascinating. It wasn't around for that long. It was only about 70 years or so. But people would be absolutely fine. They'd get up, they had their breakfast, they would be perfectly happy. And then they'd suddenly this feeling of impending doom. And then they would develop a fever and they would sweat profusely and they would drop down dead. And it was that fast. Wow. It could be that quick. It was incredible. And it happened to, you you might expect something like this if it was an infection going about. Mm -hmm. You might expect this to happen amongst the poorer amongst those, you know, living in close proximity to each other with, right. le- with less sanitation. And and actually, it was the other way around. It was happening more amongst the wealthy. Mm. And it was happening amongst those who were not young and not old, so in the middle. So it's just very, very strange. And there's been a lot of things thrown forward that might be it. But none of them really explain it fully for us to go, yep, yeah, that's it. Because the most commonly thought of one is a hantavirus. And hantaviruses tend to be spread. If they cause trouble, they tend to come from rodents. Mm, okay. But this wasn't happening. It was it was going from human to human. And it was happening, as I say, amongst the wealthy. And then other people have suggested, actually, this is not an infection at all. This might have been some sort of poison and anthrax problem, something like that. Oh, but wow. again, it doesn't really, just doesn't fit. And neither does arsenic. It just doesn't all fit. And that's why... It's so wonderful because, you know, a lot of historians and doctors get very grumpy with anyone who tries to retrospectively diagnose things right. because you can't possibly know. Yeah, I know you can't possibly know, but that's what makes it fun. You know? well, yeah, and, As you say, I want to know. Well, yeah, exactly. And with your educated background, you'd be the better person to ask than some person that doesn't know anything about medicine. So and if you don't even know. How the heck can anyone else, right? And the, But smallpox was a big deal back then, too, because I know Elizabeth I got it back in 1562, like four years into her reign. And I didn't realize she had scars from it, too. The scars, her scars were really bad. Wow. They weren't as bad as her lady-in-waiting, Mary Stanley. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't as bad as her. She was really badly affected. But Elizabeth, yeah, she was affected. And consequently she started wearing the makeup you know the the really lead the white lead makeup she started wearing that because of it and you know as the years went on she put more and more and more on and I just find that really fascinating because Elizabeth I was one of those monarchs that was absolutely terrified of being poisoned and she was doing it to herself (laughs) and she was doing it to herself yeah so she spent millions of pounds Mm. buying a unicorn horn because she thought that this would stop somebody poisoning her if she had this thing that she wouldn't get poisoned. And yet, every day, she was caking this lead poison onto her face and she was removing it with a product made of mercury. So it was this double whammy. You stick on the lead, take it off with mercury, and then be paranoid about being poisoned by someone else. I find that fascinating. Yeah, well, her dad, too, was always paranoid about being sick or getting sick, and he'd always travel you know, as soon as something broke out, he would be out of there. So I don't know if she got her hypochondria from him or if it was just her thing back then because you didn't live long back then, you know? (laughs) I I love how Henry VIII gave everybody instructions about what to do if ever there was a disease about and it would involve isolating yourself from others and all this, you know, this is brilliant, all the things that we've been doing in the last couple of years. Henry VIII was on it. No, he really was. And his other daughter, Bloody Mary, as she was referred to um, because of the Catholic and Protestant thing, burning everyone when she got into power. But they think she may have died of cancer, but they weren't sure because she thought she was pregnant. Yeah, Mary's situation, I think, was just really sad. Yeah. 
she really wanted a child and she got into these situations where everybody believed, even the physicians believed that she was pregnant. She had this swelling of her abdomen and her period stopped and, you know, they just thought that maybe they got the dates wrong when baby didn't arrive. Mm -hmm. So they thought, oh, we'll wait a little bit longer. And then this subsided. And this happened a couple of times to her. So, yeah, these sort of phantom pregnancies happened. And and ultimately, she didn't have a child. And, yeah, again, this is one of those things where if I bring this up on TikTok or, you know, social media, people will come back and say, well, I think it was endometriosis or you know just lots of other different things that we really feel very viscerally now somebody says endometriosis I've not had endometriosis but as a doctor I've seen the suffering that people have and I feel it viscerally when people talk about this disease and so when I talk about Mary specifically and people come back often with their own problems and their own suffering I really feel it it's uh, it's really interesting and um yeah i whether that was what was going on with her i don't know nobody really knows and um of course her mother was catherine of aragon yeah. and she had problems as well with fertility as we know whether that was henry's doing what well, doing is the wrong word isn't it whether that was henry's <laughs> fault or something in her we still again we don't know but yeah Mary, I, I did feel sorry. I mean, okay, yes, she, she was Bloody Mary and she did like burning people, but in that way I did feel a bit for her. Yeah, well, she had a, a tough go of it uh, when she was young when her father divorced her mother against her mother's will and, and then sent her off to a castle and separated the two for, well, I don't think she ever saw her mother again. Uh, and then 20 years go by and her mother's gone. So, and I don't think Catherine's environment was very good. He kept her in these cold castles and very low staff, not much money because, and if she'd have just said, okay, great. If she'd have been Anne of Cleves and said, you know what? That's fine. You don't have to marry me. We're good. Or they did get married, but you know, we're good. You can annul this puppy and give me all these houses and all the money and I'll be happy. But she was too true to her religion. And I understand that. But Anne of Cleves was very smart. <laughs> she kept from getting beheaded let and me it, tell you that tends to be sort of one of the last ones mentioned really because yeah. you know she didn't have this exciting again probably the wrong word but you know what i mean she didn't she didn't have this ending that was because, memorable you know, in the same way yeah because two of his wives he beheaded of course that was anne boleyn and Catherine howard who were cousins so do you know anything about the decapitation of anne boleyn yeah so henry had decided that he should ask a frenchman who was a very good sword Swordsman mm-hmm. to come over and do the job. And so Anne Boleyn was executed by the sword, which was quite unusual. But, you know, fortunately, I say fortunately for Anne Boleyn, I'm, I'm picking really bad words. No, you're fine. It was fortunate for her. So one sweep of this Frenchman's sword, one sweep and her head was off. And so really everything was over very quickly. And, you know, compared to Mary, Queen of Scots, for instance, mm. had a horrific execution story. Let me tell my listeners, Mary, Queen of Scots was the cousin of Elizabeth I. And at one point, they thought that there was some kind of treason against Elizabeth I with Mary, Queen of Scots to become the rightful queen. Uh, as she was Catholic and all the things. But I do know that she was kept in captivity for 20 years. And uh, there were some th- there were some papers going back and forth that there was some kind of rebellion against Elizabeth I and all the things. And she finally had to just sign the papers. And it, it really upset Elizabeth. But yeah, tell me about Mary, Queen of Scots' death. 
So she was sentenced beheading as well. And when she was brought out, she, she had these undergarments that were red. You know, this was Catholic defiance to the end, um, which I love as well. She didn't have quite such a smooth beheading. The executioner kind of didn't write the first time and he had to hack away at her. And then her head rolled away and he went to grab it. You know the way they would grab the head and hold it up? And he grabbed it and he just grabbed her wig. So he pulled and the wig came off and there was the the head left. And there were these stories that her lips were still quivering afterwards, you know. And uh, and then after everything, her body started to move. And her clothes were, you know, her skirt was moving and everybody sort of stopped in shock and horror and looked at her body and out crawled her little dog oh yeah he'd been under there as well the whole time so yeah it wasn't a very nice story for for mary queen of scots yeah i mean just i know that they would pay expert swordsmen axemen whoever you could get to do the beheading they would tip them before they would do it they would give them money and just say please do your best because (laughs) nobody wants to die like that Yeah, it's it's a funny thought, isn't it? Being the one that's uh, standing there with an axe. I can't. I, do you think they had people who enjoyed it? Oh, are you people kidding? Like that. Well, and that's the thing. It, well, that was the entertainment, though. Everybody came to watch. I mean, and, absolutely. And, yeah. And, that, and that's just to me. That's just kind of gross. I mean, maybe it's because we have our iPhones now and we have YouTube. But um, <laughs> but I don't even understand how anybody could just enjoy that. But I think back then things were just so much more barbaric and just not as civilized unless you were at court life back then you were either really rich or really not there was no in between there yeah so okay so i love the outlander series loved it from before it was cool too see it been around a while and i read all of diana gabaldon's books every single one in the early 2000s And I loved them. And nobody was really talking much about it. I mean, they won awards and stuff, but nobody was talking about it until like, I guess, what, 2010, 2011, when they started talking about doing the series. And I love the actual element in it where she goes back in time, the whole thing, because that's that paranormal aspect that I love. And there's a romance with Jamie Fraser and all that. But I know that the Jacobites were in Scotland and they were against the English and they were led by Bonnie Prince Charlie. Is that how it goes? Kind of. Okay. And I say kind of because it wasn't really an England v. Scotland thing. Okay. And it wasn't even, to some degree, it wasn't even a Catholic v. Protestant thing. It was kind of complicated. But what happened was that to James II, so we're talking about where were we? Mary, Queen of Scots earlier, we're talking about her son son was James I. And then we had her son, Charles, who was beheaded. And then his son, Charles, and then his brother, James. So his brother, James, was a Catholic and he was a bit useless and everybody wanted rid of him. So he was ousted, he was deposed, went off to Europe, and he was replaced by his daughter, Mary, who was Protestant. Mm. And she was married to William of Orange, who was also known as King Billy, William III. And they ruled, but there were a lot of people who felt that James was the rightful king. And Mm. they were Catholics, they were Catholics mostly, but they felt that James and the Stuarts were the rightful heirs to the throne and, and Mary shouldn't have been there. And so they put up a fight. So they put up a fight against William, but they also put up a fight against Hanoverians that came later. So oh, gotcha. we're, into the, we're into the George kings now. Okay. And James II over in exile in Europe had a son, also called James. 
And he had a son called Charles. So there was this line of potential male heirs to the throne and they believed that they should be on the throne. They shouldn't be in exile. Mm. And and they were kind of goaded by the French as well because the, the war of Austrian succession was going on and England were kind of involved with that. Right. So the French thought, if we send Bonnie Prince Charlie over, telling him to go and fight for his kingdom back, that that'll distract the English as well. So there was there was a little bit more to it than just, you know, England, Scotland, right. just, no, just Catholic Protestants. There was a lot of European stuff going on. But yeah, Bonnie Prince Charlie came over and gathered a lot of support, particularly from the Highland clans. And that's where we see in uh, in Outlander the Highland clans. And, and Jamie was trying to stop it happening, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Over in, over in France, he was trying to stop Culloden happening. Right. And it came to a head in 1746 at the Battle of Culloden, yeah. which features heavily in Outlander. I think they did it really well. You know, I do too. I, I love the way they did it. I think the series was fantastic and I love the casting of it. I think all of it was so good. But I got to tell you something. You know how like in one of your videos you were talking about, and I'm changing course here, on one of your videos you're like, I think I'm the only British person that's never seen Doctor Who. (laughs) And guess what? Neither am I. I've never seen an episode of Doctor Who, ever. Even with the things that you're into, you've never seen Doctor Who. No, I, I don't know what it is. It doesn't interest me. I don't know why. Maybe I need to check it out anyway. But it's just, it's never interests me. How about you? Well, I think that there's something to do with my age here. And that is because Doctor Who was really big, maybe I'm thinking 70s and 80s. Right, right. My husband's 13 years older than me. And he says that they used to watch it, you know, the hide behind the sofa moments. And he remembers all that as a kid. But I don't. And I just wonder, there was a gap in Doctor Who where it wasn't on air and I wonder if I hit that just at the time you know when I would have been watching it as that sort of age that I missed it and when it came back I'd sort of moved (laughs) when it came back I was studying medicine so the rest of life just disappears doesn't it (laughs) but yeah I just I just wonder if I just missed it just I don't know I have I'll look at the dates and see but yeah I think that's probably what happened they just passed me by but I mean I used to watch I was really into Star Trek you know the next generation I was too Oh, Will Wheaton? Oh, baby. I was all into that. absolutely. I was all into that. Are you kidding me? I loved it. I loved it. Okay, so let's talk about your book. You got a new book coming out. It's called Mortal Monarchs. And I don't think it's going to be released until September in the UK. But tell me about it. Because I know you talk about, you know, the deaths of kings and queens and the red hot pokers up the bum and (laughs) stories about digging up coffins of kings and queens and, you know, like thousands of years of royal deaths. So tell me about it and what you hope for it. This came from... It's definitely, you know, what you were saying earlier about the mixture of medicine and the history. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit of an oddball like that because I'm a bit of a hybrid. I'm not one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> mixture of everything. And where it all came from, I think, was years and years ago, I picked up a book. I mean, I must have been a teenager in the 90s. I picked up a book by a surgeon, an American surgeon called Sherwin Newland. Mm-hmm. And it was called How We Die. Oh. And I thought, that's interesting. And it was very much, it was biographical. He was a surgeon, but it was also about the human body and all the the different ways that we could die. And I found it absolutely fascinating. It was all the physiology of it. And I've always had that in my mind that I wanted to do something along those lines, that I wanted to take that further. And of course, the history stuff, I love all that too. Mm -hmm. All of those stories, they just work really well with this looking at how all of the monarchs died, because of course they all did. And all their stories are wonderful because they were all used as ways to put down or to big up the kings. Their death stories are always in there, which is wonderful. Absolutely. And my thing is, 
because you were so interested in this and this kind of like darker side, I'm surprised you didn't go into like mortician work. Yeah, I mean, that was when I first decided to study medicine, I wanted to be a pathologist. Oh, well, there you My, go. Okay. Every, yeah, everyone at school called me Quincy. Quincy. Do you remember Quincy, the, the show? Yeah. <laughs> and everyone at school called me that. And I really wanted to be a pathologist. But when I started then studying medicine, when I really got into it, I was really seduced by the bright lights of the emergency department. Mm and mm-hmm. theatre and, you know, surgery and what have you. So I, I did go in that direction eventually, but this has always been there. And, you know, I found myself, when I was in the hospital, constantly telling stories <laughs> to <laughs> anyone who would listen about the history, about the history of medicine and the history of the things that we were doing. And, you know, if I was in theatre and we were looking at a certain body part or we were doing an operation, I would be wanting to tell everybody about the history of it. And I thought, this is daft. I need to go and take this further. So I went and did a degree in modern history to bring them both together. Yeah. And when she's talking about theatre, guys, she talked about, in our terms, the operating room. Because <laughs> you guys call it yes. the theatre. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. call it the operating room. You know, that comes from the history of it all, doesn't it? The, it, it you does. know, that used to be in a theatre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just fascinated by, like I said, by your videos and you have such great energy in them. And like I said, you make me laugh every time. I mean, girl, you got like, I think almost 215,000 followers. People love your content and you got to keep bringing it because it's so much fun. You even sometimes do a little quick quiz with your kids in the car. I mean, it's just fun. You don't make it so dang dark. Although I do like the dark side. Not going to (laughs) lie. So I think it's really easy on TikTok to get drawn into the drama and to react to comments that people make that maybe don't want. And, you know, it's really easy. And I just decided very early on my channel that I just wasn't going to do that, that we were just going to have fun. And if anyone was being silly, that I'd just delete them. And, And we do have fun, even though it is a dark subject. And, you know, at the very basis of it all, at the very heart of everything that I put out, I want us to be able to talk openly more about death. It's something that happens to us all. It's something that's coming to us all. It's something that comes to us in family and friends around us before it happens to us. And yet we're very bad at talking about it. We are very bad at talking about it. You're absolutely right. It's just, it's kind of a a, a taboo thing and it shouldn't be. And I also interview people that have near-death experiences, like whether they're on an operating table or whatever, and we go even beyond that. So I don't know if you know anything about that being in the medical field. What do you think about life after death? I've always struggled with that one because Mm. without going all Fox Mulder, I want to believe. Sure, no. (laughs) But... Years ago, somebody said something to me that, you know, if you weren't aware of anything that happened before now, so why would you be aware after? And I didn't like that. Mm. <laughs> I don't like that idea. I want I want something else. I think actually that we're quite arrogant to believe that everything that we see and hear is the only thing that's out there. Oh, absolutely. Our senses pick up what we can pick up. No, it doesn't mean to say that there's yeah. not other stuff. Well, and my thing is, what was the purpose of being here if we're not going to learn from it and move on and share our experiences and maybe come back and do it again and do it in a better way or in a, a more unique way or, or a more moving way for other circumstances or other people? And that's my take. Not to say that I'm right, but that's how I like to think of it. So <laughs> I like that way of thinking about it. Yeah, I do like that way. Yeah, so... Um, and real quick, I, I wanted to ask you this. So because you were around all this history, have you ever spotted a ghost or been around, you know, a haunted place or felt weird about a place where you've gone into? All the time. Really? <laughs> I all love the time, it. yeah. 
Do you know, I live in a very old little cottage mm. in the Highlands of Scotland, and I know the history of the cottage. I know who was born and who died here, and I know the history of the land. And so there was a lad who was born in this cottage who died in the First World War. Mm. And one day he left his parents in this cottage and he went off and he never came back. And one day they got a telegram to say he's not coming back. Aww. And maybe they were sitting where I'm sitting now, you know? Yes. And where I'm sitting now is where I was sitting when I got a phone call to say my own father had died a couple Aww. of years ago. And I just think there's an energy to that. There's an energy that's there. And I don't want them ever to be forgotten, the family who were here. Right. And uh, and ho hopefully I keep that on by remembering him and remembering that lad that died in the, in the First World War. And hopefully we can keep that going. Absolutely. So, yeah, I do, I do feel that energy. I feel that a lot. And, you know, I think... I don't know if I'm preaching to the converted, but definitely I feel that energy everywhere I go. And I spend a lot of time in, in old places where I've looked into the history and where I've, mm -hmm. I want to, to see more of it than just a building. Well, you know, you're in Scotland, and this is my last thing. You're in Scotland. Do you know that Castle Leslie is my ancestral home? Um, there's one in Ireland and there's one, of course, in Scotland by Aberdeen. And uh, it's a smaller castle, the one by Aberdeen. I can't remember the little town it's in. I just literally found this out, I think about, oh, five years ago. So as soon as I can get to Scotland, I've been to England, but I've never been to Scotland and I would love to just go anyway. But yeah, that's my ancestral home. And my first name was my mother's maiden name. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, well, I live just near Aberdeen. Oh. Okay, cool. So I am going to go and find out and see if I can go and go over there and I'll make a TikTok video for you. You will? Oh my God, that would be amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I would love, They, I think they are a bed and breakfast. So I think they are open to maybe you coming in or open to the public or making some kind of TikTok or something. I think they would love the advertisement. I follow them on Instagram and they, and they follow me back. So yeah, that would be amazing. I'll do that. I'll see what I can do about that. That's not a problem at all. Where are we? Where are I'm just looking online. Yeah, yeah. I I can't see it. Oh, Inch. Yeah, it's just up the road. It's just up are the road. Are you serious? I can go do that. Yay! Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to do that. How much fun would that be? That would be so fun. I don't even know. Maybe you could find more history of like when it was built and, and, you know, all the things or not, whatever. Just go and have fun. You don't have to do any research for me. Just go and have fun. But I would love to see your TikTok about that, if, especially if it's close. Yes, it's just it's not that far away. Yay. Well, Susie, you have been fantastic. I love hearing about all the history. I may have to have you back because I didn't even get to scratch the surface on some other things I wanted to talk about. But you know what? I, I know you got to go. So I want everyone to check you out on TikTok. And I think you have a YouTube channel and a podcast, correct? Mm -hmm. okay. Yep, yep. Okay. They're all all linked from the TikTok channel as well. Okay. Do you have a link tree or do you have some kind of website I can put on my show notes? Yeah, I do. Well, I use a social link. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, just send me your link and I'll put it on my show notes because I want everyone to experience you. You're so much fun. The energy you bring to your content. It's so fun. And guys, uh, give her a follow if you're on TikTok. And like I said, Susie, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. That's so lovely. Thank you very much. Again, I'm, I'm really excited to chat and um, I still have some work to do tonight. So you've given me a bit of a boost to go and uh, go and get to it. Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. 
So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist, and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again, and I will see you next week.